Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Fashion History. I'm your host, Taniqua Russ, and of course you know us here. We are the podcast that chronicles the amazing contributions of black people worldwide to the fashion industry. If you're new here, welcome. And if you're not new here, welcome again. I want all of you all to check out our website. I'm so excited. We have a website now, guys. You can go to blackfashionhistory.com and learn more about me, the podcast, get educational resources, show notes, all of that good stuff. Now let's get into what you guys really came for, and that's the meat and potatoes of this episode. So you want to start a podcast, right? I know it can seem really daunting and complicated to have to think through how to record it or how to edit it and even how to upload it. But don't worry about any of that. I'm about to give you the only tool you need to create an A1 top of the line podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even start making money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now, all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M, to get started today. Now, let's get back into our content. So before we get started, let me just tell y'all that right now, it is 11.57 p.m. I am sitting on my bed recording this episode because I... I'm just so excited to get this out to you all. Usually I have like a whole setup with my mics and I made like a little makeshift recording studio in my closet. But tonight I just, just literally like a minute ago, wrapped up watching the remix Hip Hop and Fashion on Netflix. And I just have so many notes and so many thoughts that I want to get out. So I just had to record this episode really, really quickly. So on Sunday, I realized that there was this fashion documentary on Netflix. If you follow the podcast at Black Fashion History Podcast on Instagram, you saw that I posted about it. uh, And I started watching it a little bit. And it's called The Remix Hip Hop and Fashion. So I already knew off bat that this was going to be a documentary worth discussing, whether or not it was great um, I knew it was going to be worth discussing on the podcast, so I want to talk about it. I watched a little bit on Sunday, and then today, which is Wednesday, or now is Thursday because it's 12 a.m., I watched the rest of it, and I'm just ready to jump right in and talk to you all about it, give you my overall review of the whole thing, and then go into detail about the parts that really stuck out to me and the people that really stuck out to me. To start, I absolutely loved this documentary. I think it did a great job discussing um, fashion in hip hop and kind of going through, any. I would say from like the late 90s up until now in like a cohesive way, a brief way, but not too brief. You know, we still were 
able to receive a lot of the information and learn a lot of new things, but brief enough that it moved through the documentary quickly. It was only 66 minutes. That's not a long time to discuss um, like 20 plus years of fashion and the contributions of black people and hip hop to the fashion industry, but I think they did a good job. So the documentary focused mainly on four people. So there are a lot of different um, who I like to call tastemakers, which are just um, black people, or I'm referring to like black people in fashion, um, whether that's like magazine, styling, designers, whatever. So there are a lot of those people like we throughout the documentary and the documentary kind of touched on their piece, but it mainly focused on four people and their contributions. So First one was Misa Hilton, uh, Kirby John Raymond, Dapper Dan, and April Walker. I want to say like kudos to whoever put this together and their um, thought to include Misa Hilton in this documentary. In my opinion, she needs a whole documentary by herself. Misa Hilton has been so influential. I'm not even not just has been, but is so influential to the fashion industry and she has never been acknowledged for her work, not the amount that she deserves. And her work and the impact of her work is so obviously it's so obviously seen uh, throughout the years in different one-way shows and magazines on celebrities um, that it really is kind of disrespectful that us as a culture, people who are into fashion, uh, black people in general, that we either one don't know about her or two don't give her the credit that she deserves. She is the ultimate tastemaker. So everything that you loved about that bad boy hip hop era as it came to style and fashion, that was Misa Hilton. So when we look at Mary J. Blige and how a lot of people were really into Mary's look because she was an R&B singer who dressed like, uh, you know, one of the hip hop guys, but also kind of had a sexiness and a feminine appeal to her. That was all Misa. Misa just essentially took Um, what Mary was comfortable with, uh, her comfort zone, kind of married that to street style and culture, which was the big thing at the time. And then also added a little femininity because, you know, Mary is a woman and she was an RV singer singing about love and all of that stuff. Little Kim is another person that we love to draw fashion inspiration from and every day you see someone with a Kim inspired look or you look every Halloween there's something Kim inspired and we never give the architect the stylist and the visionary behind Kim's look her credit that's Misa again and that's kind of how I first came to know who she was like years ago is because I'm a huge little Kim fan I love love Kim her style everything And for me, I love doing research as well. So looking into who created that style, who created some of the iconic things that, you know, she wore, that's how I learned about Misa Hilton. And it kind of led me into this rabbit hole of all of her other work. Little Kim and Misa Hilton are the greatest fashion pairing ever. Like 
every bit of Kim's style that we replicate, that we love and we look to, Misa was behind that. So that collaboration of Kim's personal style mixed with like the vision of her celebrity brand um, plus Misa's like just a genius creates or created everything that we love about Kim. If you think back to that iconic crush on you video where she had all that monochromatic look, you know, Misa put that together. The purple pasties, Misa put that together and those I think are the top two looks of Kim that people reference the most. So I love that this documentary really took the time and focused a lot about her and on her story and on her contributions to fashion and hip hop. One of the things that Misa discussed in the film that I thought was interesting was how that um, iconic crush on you video monochromatic look you know with the wigs and the furs and everything that Kim had was something that people were totally against at first and they thought would not work but once it was out there and people saw it that kind of catapulted both of them into um, the luxury spotlight in a sense it kind of turned Kim and her into what I like to call designer girls so when you think back to the 90s, you know, that era where Kim was like really popping and on top, not saying that she's not popping now, but y'all get what I mean. Um, Kim was like the poster rapstress for luxury, like Chanel, Fendi, um, Christian Dior, all of that. That was little Kim all the time. She was at runway shows. She was at fashion week. She was like modeling and ads for these designers and it was an iconic moment because hip-hop hasn't always been accepted by the luxury market so it's a very big deal to have a girl who is rapping and not just a regular rapper like Kim was raw and raunchy from the hood like hung with the boys like a kind of poster child for a luxury brand like being a very regular black girl was a big deal is a big deal and to know that the work of Misa Hilton kind of facilitated that move is very interesting now another thing that she mentioned is that when her artists begin to blow up to blow up <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me it's late y'all when her artists began to blow up um, and her clients that she was styling began to blow up and they were being called by Vogue and into all of these like luxury markets, they wanted to bring another stylist in to essentially execute her looks and vision. So they wanted the style, they wanted the culture, they wanted the urban the hip-hop you know they wanted the creative looks but they didn't want Misa or they and it goes beyond just Misa so it wasn't even like a personal thing it's it's what we see today where like you love black culture and you love what black culture brings and the fun things that it produces but you don't want black people and it's kind of the same thing like they didn't want her they would bring other artists to come in and try to execute this look which ultimately led her to you know losing money losing opportunities losing jobs and not 
gaining the stature in the industry that she more than deserves. So I appreciate this documentary kind of giving her her flowers while she's here. Um, her like now collaboration with MCM really bringing her more and more to the forefront of the luxury fashion market and then mainstream fashion you know whatever you want to call it so that people can know who she is understand her contributions understand how we've all been influenced by her and celebrate her another person that the documentary touched on was Dapper Dan now I've always seen Dapper Dan's work throughout my life I just didn't know who he was I didn't even know it was him uh, so I first learned about Dapper Dan um, I'm gonna say my thought like a 2014 random year I know but a, a while ago when the fresh dress documentary came out that was also on Netflix and it's also another fashion documentary about hip-hop but Dapper Dan was the designer and he was most known for his remixes which makes the title of this documentary so befitting for him to be in he would take the branding of popular luxury brands and create styles from him, create styles from them that the brands did not have. So back in the day when you used to see like the Gucci puffer jackets or the Louis V um, bags or jeans or like it, Gucci interiors on cars all of that stuff did not exist Dapper Dan created that so he meshed the style of the hood with the luxury symbols because luxury was very much back then and even now a status symbol it was a sign that you made it so you'll have rappers and drug dealers and all these people from the hood who have money want to show their status but in their style and that's what Dapper Dan was known for so I'd always grown up seeing the things on MTV and on these different these looks on these different rappers but I just thought it was Gucci or you know whatever the brand was like I didn't know that Gucci didn't make that stuff now what I thought was super dope about Dapper Dan that he mentioned in the documentary is that he understood his audience like he knew that he was catering to people who live the nightlife and so he had his atelier open 24 hours a day so people can go in at 4 a.m. and be like yo I want this Fendi suit and he could whip it up but obviously this type of business model doesn't come without its problems. So Dapper Dan was also known for all of the fashion raids that would happen at his shop in Harlem. Like it is, I think the raids on Dapper Dan's have got to be like the biggest, uh, most memorable or popular raids in like New York City history because they would come in repeatedly, like take his stuff, you know, he'll get shut down for copyright infringement, obviously, um, to the point where he had to go underground. At this point in the documentary, I'm thinking to myself, I wish Dapper Dan would have pivoted and instead of, you know, creating all of these styles with the luxury branding, 
I wish he would have just developed his own clothing line. But at the same time, you know, how many times have I come on this podcast and talk about black designers and brands that were once really popular and washed away so like would we have supported it like would he have received the same kind of love that he was and we have got to show up for our people and our brands the way that we do these luxury brands I think had he created something of his own and like rappers and the singers and the actors and comedians because it wasn't just rappers like anybody who was anybody in black entertainment at that time wore Dapper Dan from LL Cool J to Malcolm Jamal Warner like they were in his stuff so if they would have showed out for his personal brand like they did back then I think it would have been an interesting story written today because fast forward to today or fast forward to 2018 where Gucci is using a style that Dapper Dan created way back in the 80s and 90s and sending that down on the runway without giving him credit. And then when Black Twitter goes in on them, he now has a collaboration line with Gucci and is coaching them on how to be more diverse. And these are all great accomplishments and he's getting the attention that he deserves. But I would have loved to see Dapper Dan's name by itself and made famous, not associated with any other brand because he is that talented and he is that influential and he definitely deserves it. And at the end of the day, if I can be honest, luxury, fashion, does not know style. When I say that, I mean these luxury brands out here do not have any kind of uniqueness. They look to culture. They look to hip hop culture specifically. They look to black culture. They look to youth to figure out what their stuff should look like. And that's what they set down the runway. So for someone who created a look in a style and had the foresight for this almost 20 years ago I think he deserves way more than a collaboration line um, and the accolades that he's getting today I think he deserves his own brand and I think he deserves for us to show up for him like we do for Gucci and Louis and Chanel and Hermes and whatever other thing is popping at the moment Like imagine taking the power of hip hop and the power of black culture and backing black brands and esteeming them like we do luxury brands, like what that would look like for our world. Will we have a Chanel? And by that, I mean, will we have a long standing fashion house? You know, could we have that? There are a lot of black brands that were started in the 80s and 90s that did not survive to this day. But there are also a lot of non-black brands like Tommy Hilfiger, Calvin Klein, those kinds of things that lasted through the 90s and beyond because of us. Like Tommy Hilfiger wasn't streetwear. They weren't urban. They were quote unquote all American, which is a term that the fashion industry tries to throw around that just basically means white. They were very suburban. I mean, they sold rugby shirts, 
Rugby is not a sport that is played in inner cities. Rugby is very much a affluent kind of sport played in affluent neighborhoods afforded to a certain group of people. That was the kind of brand that they were. But in the 90s, Tommy Hilfiger and Tommy Jeans became very urban. Like you take a look at Aaliyah, like in her iconic Tommy, like Destiny's Childs were were photographed in, you know, Tommy Jeans overalls with the Tommy tube top. Tupac was wearing Tommy Hilfiger, Usher's in a Tommy Hilfiger ad with baggy jeans and a wave cap. Like that is our style. Like Tommy became urban because that was what was popular. That was the way that we expressed ourselves. That's what hip hop did. That became popular and because we are the purveyors of cool, lots of brands, Tommy Hilfiger as an example, took that style, they pivoted and profited. However, our brands haven't had the same track record, which leads me to the third subject of the documentary, which is April Walker. Um, this was my first time really hearing about April Walker. So I was somewhat familiar with her because I follow her on Instagram. Uh, and I know that she is someone who contributed to fashion, especially in urban wear, but I hadn't heard of her brand. So her brand is Walker Wear, and it was a brand that was popular again in the 90s, worn by Biggie, Jam Master Dre, Tretch, you know, all the folks. Now she was a creator of the rough and rugged suit, which is basically that denim suit that you see all of the rappers from that era wear. Baggy jeans, big denim jacket, like that was the style and that was the look that she pioneered. Oh, and talking about her reminds me of one of the things that I love that the documentary touched on is the role of women in hip hop and in hip hop fashion specifically. She talks about how for a long time she kept herself in the background of her brand. She hid herself because she was a woman. And that is a struggle that many a women face in every industry, but certainly in such a male dominated industry. So I love, love, love that they addressed that. I actually kind of wish that they would have stayed on that a bit more. They talked about it a lot in the documentary, but I think, um, I guess being a woman in hip hop kind of deserves its own like piece. So I think I wish this was more like a series instead of a documentary, then they could kind of deep dive into everything that they touched on a little bit. But back to April. One of the things that she said in the documentary that I want to stand up and give a round of applause to was this verbatim. She says, we create culture, but don't participate in the longevity of it in terms of the business part. That is so true. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier in that we give brands essentially the blueprint on how to succeed because we show them what style is we show them what's hot we show them what's trending and so they use our style they use our words um, but we don't get to participate 
in that. Like we don't get to be the decision makers and we don't get to, or our brands don't get to financially benefit from that or be established over a long period of time. I wish they would have talked about this more because that is my biggest question and kind of why I even created this podcast and why I just love fashion and black fashion history specifically so much is because I want to know what is the missing piece for us so yes I'm aware that there's racism and classism and you know all of these kinds of barriers for us But I also understand that for a very long time in fashion specifically, we create the style. And I think the disconnect there is that we create the style, but we do not have the power. So while we are the architects of the looks, we aren't always in position so where we can say, we're not going to go with Tommy Hill figure for this look we're going to go with Walker Ware for this look and I think that's the difference going back to what I said earlier about Misa Hilton and her experience when her clients start to blow up is that yes Misa created the look hip-hop created the look and Vogue and Harper's Bazaar or whoever wanted that look but we didn't have the power to say no we're not going to go with that stylist we're going to go with Misa we're not going to go with Chanel we're going to go with Dapper Dan you know we're not going to go with Calvin Klein we're going to go with FUBU you know we aren't in the positions to be able to support our brands or give them the platform that would help in this longevity and I think that is a difference and I wish the documentary would kind of explore that a little bit more because I feel like we cannot talk about our influence in fashion and hip-hop's influence on fashion without addressing why we don't have a piece of the pie. Now the fourth person that the documentary focused on was Kirby John Raymond of Pierre Moss and I just uh, uh, I'm stuttering because I love Kirby so much always have I think I always will so I enjoy getting to hear pieces of his story in this documentary however I don't think he should have been in it and it's not because he's not a great designer it's not because he's not a great artist or he isn't influential in fact I am going to go on record saying that Kirby will go down in history as one of the greatest designers and fashion tastemakers ever. That's a black, white, Asian ever and that's period because he is that amazing and he's such a game changer and he's so unique and he's not afraid to call out people and brands that need to be called out and he's also not afraid to show his heritage and create art that reflects the times but the reason why I said I don't think he belongs in this documentary is because he is still kind of new in a sense like all of the other people in the documentary Misa, Dapper Dan, April there have been people that I feel like have been fighting for their recognition for a long time and I think Kirby 
has been one of those black designers that has been getting recognition. I'm sure, certainly not the amount that he deserves, but I just felt like this documentary is for like the old school folks. Like we should have focused on like the people that needed to get their props that didn't get their props. So that was my only thing. But like I said, I love Kirby and I love Pierre Moss. If you are into fashion history, if you are a collector, if you're like a vintage dealer, mark my words, you need to buy up every piece of Pierre Moss that you can find today because it's that kind of brand. Like he is that influential. He is already making history. Like his Black Lives Matter collection has been archived in the Smithsonian. Now, I don't have coins like that, not yet, but Pierre Moss is a brand that I personally stand behind. And when I start making money like that to be able to buy pieces, and honestly, when I start making money to the point where I can invest in a company, I am giving them my coins in every way that I can. I believe in Kirby and the brand so much not because of the actual pieces that he creates, even though those are great, but because of the foresight that he has and his constant celebration of black culture. Like he is always intentional about where he has his fashion shows, who attends. I mean, he has a black choir singing his fashion shows. He has them in Brooklyn. That's a big deal. New York Fashion Week shows are normally held in the city. And that's another kind of like status thing and gatekeeper situation. And so for a designer to have his fashion show in Brooklyn, a borough that used to be called Brooknam just 20 plus years ago, a borough that is largely inhabited by black people, I mean, there's gentrification, but historically <laughs> inhabited by black people, that is some of the greatest fashion commentary that I've seen. Now, what I thought was interesting that he shared in the remix was that he initially didn't want anyone to know that he was black. And that makes sense because fashion is elitist, fashion is racist, fashion is classist, and a host of other things. But he said in 2015 is when he really started to use fashion in his art as a reflection of the times. And so he created this documentary uh, where he had victims or family members of victims of police brutality like Eric Gardner's family um, just talk about what it means when your skin is weaponized. And he showed this at his fashion show. So all these nice people thought they were coming to watch a show and just see some fashions. Um, and he was like, now nah, y'all going to get this good Black Lives Matter documentary. And he showed it. And then he showed his collection, uh, the Black Lives Matter collection. And it was Blackly Black Black. In the documentary, he talked about how he lost money and accounts over that. But also that collection is archived by the Smithsonian. And so for him to take that risk, and I know he didn't know he was taking a risk at the time, but 
to stand behind that and have that piece of art be a piece of history is amazing. Those are just a few of my thoughts on this documentary. If you haven't done so already, I highly suggest that you run to Netflix right now, search The Remix, and watch it. It's not that long, but it's so good. And if you're interested in fashion, which I know you are, because you're listening to me, if you're interested in fashion history, which I know you are, if you're interested in black fashion history, which you definitely are, then this is a must-watch. I'm looking forward to seeing more of our stories and fashion on film. There are so many black people in the diaspora that have contributed and impacted style in so many ways and their stories need to be told. So kudos to the Remix team for this documentary. We need more. And also support black brands, y'all. That's what everything comes down to for me is let's put our money, let's put our influence, because we're the influencers, put our money, influence, all of that behind black brands and watch them grow and succeed because I want the next set of documentaries not to be about how uh, we like created these styles and then these big brands decided to give us a little something and come aboard their team and make them better. I want the next set of documentaries to be about the black brands that grew from the ashes and have now been around 50 plus years. And that's it guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Black Fashion History. If you love the show, I want you to click on your phone, head over to Instagram, and follow us at Black Fashion History Podcast. You can also check us out at our website that we just got, blackfashionhistory.com. There you'll find show notes, uh, resources, all of that jazz to help you stay up on your Black Fashion History game please make sure to check out our sponsor for the episode. Of course, you support them. They support us. We continue to make more great content. And of course, share this episode with a friend and join us again next week for another installment of Black Fashion History. Bye-bye.